This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. So we began a new series on the life of Joseph a few weeks ago, and uh, the life of Joseph has many, many twists and turns. There's so many things about his life, the, the, the ups and the downs, the, the, the trials, the, the joys, the disappointments, the glorious joyful surprises that we can relate to in our own lives, and through it all, God meant it for good. That's what the series is all about. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 41 this morning. Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to talk this morning about when God surprises you. When God surprises you. Genesis chapter 41. And you can follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. And we're going to read through verse 44 in this chapter. Let's begin. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, full ones. Then Pharaoh woke up. It was only a dream. When the morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had uh, dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, weak, very sickly, and thin, came up. 
I've never seen such sickly ones as these in all the land of Egypt. Then the thin, sickly cows ate the first seven well-fed cows. When they had devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, coming up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven good ones. I told this to the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. So now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these seven years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by the famine. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in a second chariot and servants called out before him, make way. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the life of Joseph and the way that you worked in his life. Lord, through good times and bad, through trials, through times of joy, Lord, you were doing a great work. 
And Lord, give us the faith to understand that in all the circumstances of our lives as your children, that you were at work for our good and for your glory. Lord, strengthen our faith today. Encourage us with your word. Lord, for anyone here who's just come to church today just just looking for a word of hope and just barely hanging on, Lord, may today be a day of encouragement from your spirit to know that even in times of trial, you are doing something beautiful far beyond what we can even understand. Work right now through your word, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, in early March of 2020, I was preparing for a mission trip to the Middle East, and we were almost ready to pack. It was a week away. In fact, Melissa and I had gone out that Friday night, and we had gone out to buy some final travel supplies before my trip, and we we got all that we needed, and we, we got back, and before bed, I had a phone call saying that the trip had been canceled because of the travel restrictions and with, in regard to COVID. <laughs> and within a week, I was, not only was I not going on a mission trip to the Middle East, I, I wasn't even going to be preaching to people in the sanctuary. I was going to be preaching to a camera stationed right down there in an empty sanctuary. That, that time was filled with several unpleasant surprises. Well, fast forward two and a half years, and that, that trip to that country, which was, had to be canceled two and a half years ago, uh, will, will soon be uh, happening. But there was one thing, I had to get a visa again for this country. I had it the first time, but you know, it's been two and a half years, so you had to kind of reapply and that kind of thing. That is no big deal. I mean, the first time I got the visa within hours, a few hours. So I thought it was just a formality this time. So I apply this time, and not only does it not come within a few hours, it didn't come within a few days. And what I found during that, that time when sort of hanging in, in limbo and God kind of brought me to my knees in prayer about this, I found, I found two things coming to pass. One was that I found the Spirit of God putting a deeper burden on me than ever to go and visit our workers, your, your workers that you are supporting in this particular country because it's a place where they don't get many visitors. And so I found myself just even more burdened to want to go and to want to come alongside and, 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 and encourage. I found that happening, but I still didn't have a visa. <laughs> but what I also found happening was that God's spirit was giving me a peace. And just I was able to just, just surrender that. It was out of my control. I couldn't do anything. It's in the hands of some officials I will never see in another country. And, 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 and God's spirit just gave me the grace to, to just surrender that. And I found myself just coming to a sense of peace about it. And lo and behold, 
This past Tuesday morning, I woke up and turned my phone over and there was a text message from this country and my visa had been approved. And that was a beautiful, pleasant surprise. I I thought of the title of one of C.S. Lewis's books, Surprised by Joy. That's Joseph in chapter 41. This particular day began for Joseph like every other day had for years. He was facing another incarcerated day in the dungeon. But by the end of that day, Joseph has gone from the vileness of the dungeon to being the viceroy, the second in command over all the land of Egypt. (laughs) In one day, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace, (laughs) From from the outhouse to the penthouse, from the pit to the peak in one day. You know, sometimes God surprises us with things that are just far beyond all we could ever ask or imagine. So what are some of the principles that we see here in this amazing chapter of God's word? What do we see here? One thing that we see is that God faithfully remembers his children. God faithfully remembers his children. Remember last, last week in chapter 40, we saw where these two guys who were in prison with Joseph, they had dreams. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker both had dreams. And, 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 and God gave Joseph uh, the ability to, to, uh, to understand and interpret those dreams. It was God who was doing it, and Joseph made that clear to them. God had given Joseph the, the meaning of the dreams. And of course, Joseph tells the chief cupbearer, here's what's going to happen. You are going to be released from prison. You're going to be restored to your position, and you are once again going to place Pharaoh's cup in his hand. But before the chief cupbearer was released from prison, you remember Joseph said to him, don't forget me. When you go before Pharaoh, speak a kind word for me because you know that I am innocent. You know that I do not deserve to be in this dungeon. And so when you are restored to your position, remember me. What happened at the end of chapter 40? What did we see in verse 23? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And listen, the cupbearer's problem wasn't so much a memory problem as it was a moral problem. A sheer lack of gratitude you know, we have to be careful of this in our, in our lives. You know, I think about sometimes um, friendships that we can sort of let go. And, you know, we've, we've, God puts friends in our lives who are, who are there for us during some tough times. Um, 
but you know, we, life can get really busy or we can kind of move or whatever, or we're in a different, situ- different job, different place or whatever, and we can just kind of let that friendship go. I've been guilty of it. And, and we can kind of shrug it off and say, well, you know, life just, life just got busy or, 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 or whatever. But you know what? That person was there for you when you were going through a hard time. And now that you're not going through that anymore, you're just going to kind of let that friendship go? Is that, is that just a memory problem? No, it goes, it goes deeper than that. You know, or I think about um, the way that elderly parents sometimes are treated by their adult kids. I mean, moms and dads who have sacrificed and loved, I mean, for, for years and years who have been there for their kids, and now they're older, they're in poor health, and too often they're forgotten. Not, not contacted very much. You know, what is that? Is that just a memory problem? It, it goes deeper than that, right? We, we live in a world where a lot of times gratitude is not shown. I mean, we can be on the receiving end of kindness. And listen, if, if we can't, you know, take three seconds to take our little thumbs and text back, you know, thank you so much. That's not just a memory issue, right? That's, that's ingratitude. We need to remember to be thankful, right? Well, the chief cupbearer did not have gratitude. He did not have gratitude for, for what Joseph had done for him, the way that Joseph had been there for him. He forgot Joseph. But the Bible says that God never forgets his children. In Isaiah 49, in verses 14 and 15, the people of Jerusalem are saying, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. God says, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says, I would not forget you. Our, our God will never forget us. He faithfully remembers his children. And during this time in the prison, in fact, during the 13 years that Joseph has been in Egypt, you remember he was just 17 years old when his own brothers sold him as a slave to Egypt. Now he's 30. But throughout these 13 years, of trial after trial after trial. Not only is God not forgotten, Joseph, but the whole time, God is doing a beautiful thing that was yet to be revealed. And that's the second thing that we see in this chapter. God causes all things to work together for the good of his children Romans 8.28 promises that. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice a couple of things about this promise of God. First, it is limited to believers. 
It says that God causes all things to work together for good to who? To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And so this promise is for believers. Those who are in Christ. But notice the second thing. And that is that the extent of the promise to believers is unlimited. Does it say that God causes some things to work together for the good of those who love him? No. It says God causes all things to work together for the good of those who who love him. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. Clearly, some things are not good in and of themselves. Just like if you think about the ingredients of a, of a, of a cake. And my birthday was Friday, and so we had an awesome cake, let me tell you. But if you thought, thought about the ingredients of that cake individually, I mean, what would it be like if you just took a spoonful of flour and put it in your mouth? You know, or dab some baking soda on your tongue. Or kind of chugged vanilla extract. You know, or washed it all down with a couple of slimy raw eggs. I remember in, I remember in Rocky, Sylvester Stallone drinking raw eggs, but it's really gross. I don't want to drink, be drinking raw eggs. But what happens when you put those ingredients, which individually are, would be gross, and you put them together? You work them together, or bake them together. It's, it, it's a masterpiece. And so, everything that has happened in Joseph's life, everything that's happened in ours, is everything good? No, it's not what it's saying. But it's saying that God causes all of it to work together for good to those who love him. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in Joseph's life that we've seen that is not good. It was not good for his own brothers to sell him off as a slave to Egypt. It was not good when after arriving in in Egypt, uh, Potiphar's wife tries to uh, seduce him unsuccessfully and and when rebuffed, uh, uh, makes a false accusation against him and then he's wrongly thrown in this dungeon, none of that was good. But behind the scenes, the hidden hand of God was doing something beautiful. Because you see, really it was God that was sending Joseph to Egypt. Because God had a plan. God's plan was to take Joseph and raise him up to be in the position that we see in chapter 41. And God puts Joseph in that position because in that position, he is gonna be used to save a multitude of lives from this famine, including the lives of the Jewish people through whom, who was going to be born, Jesus, right? This is all pointing to Christ. Moreover, during those 13 years of trials, God was doing something inside of Joseph 
He's molding his character. Joseph's not the same guy at 30 that he was at 17. God is doing a beautiful work in his life so that when his moment comes, he will rise to meet that moment. And that brings us to the third thing that we see here. Be passionate for God's glory, not yours. Be passionate for God's glory, not yours. Psalm 115, 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Now, you remember last time in chapter 40, when these two guys, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they have their dreams, and so they, they come to Joseph, and remember how that conversation went? We saw it in chapter 40 and verse 15. They say, we had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And we talked last time about how in ancient Egypt, dream interpretation was like a big deal. It was a big money-making racket. And uh, these, these guys, you know, claim to be dr- dream gurus or whatever, and, and uh, working under the power of these false gods, you know, they claim to be able to interpret dreams and so forth. And so Joseph's response to these guys is sort of an in-your-face rebuff of that. He is saying interpretations belong to God, the one true God. None of the false gods of Egypt can do it, and I can't do it, but God can do it. And so Joseph's response was a God-glorifying statement. But see, now... In chapter 41, it's not just a couple of Pharaoh's officials that are having the dream. It's Pharaoh himself that is having the dream. And not only does Pharaoh believe in this pantheon of false gods, but Pharaoh was worshipped as a god himself. (laughs) How is Joseph going to respond? Let's look at verse 15, chapter 41 and, and verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Now think about the temptations that Joseph would have felt at this moment. One temptation would have been to be a glory hog. (laughs) to haul glory for himself in our sin nature. Uh, we, we love to, to be recognized and, and take credit for things. And if, and if we can look good in the eyes of somebody like Pharaoh with all this power, well, that's even, that's even better, right? That just caters to our, our sin Nature And so one temptation would have been to kind of, kind of rob God of glory, to haul glory for himself and take credit himself, to make himself look good in the eyes of, of Pharaoh. Another temptation that Joseph would have felt in this situation would have been to, to, to downplay God. Remember, Joseph is the only believer at this point. 
Pharaoh doesn't believe in the one true God. Pharaoh believes in this whole pantheon of, of, of false gods, and, and he himself is worshipped as one of them. In such a pagan environment, a temptation would be to kind of downplay your faith so that you don't stand out as being so different. Will Joseph rise to meet this moment? Now let's look at verses 15 and 16 together. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. And literally that, that says, it's not me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> I am, I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I mean, Joseph in this moment just steps up to the plate and hits a grand slam home run for the glory of God. How many times do we have the opportunity to give glory to God, and yet we want to take credit for ourselves. Glory, we hog glory for ourselves rather than giving that to the Lord. How many opportunities do we have to give God glory when we're in a conversation with someone? I mean, just think about all the opportunities that we have, all the conversations that we engage in with people who, who don't know Christ. The opportunities that we have there to speak, to turn that conversation into a gospel conversation and to speak about Jesus and his saving work, that he, that he died for sinners, that he rose from the dead, that there's new life to be found in him. But instead of seizing that opportunity, to glorify Christ, we, we play it safe. We wimp out and we keep the conversation on, you know, topic, you know, sports or weather or kids or whatever. Because really, in that situation, we, we care more about kind of, you know, Keeping, keeping everything cool looking, cool, looking cool or being accepted or whatever than we do about the condition of that person's soul. Let me ask you something. Do you, do you fear people more than you love them? We're called to boldly, courageously love people and love them enough to tell them the, the, the good news the only good news that can save. How many times do we have the opportunity to stand up for what is right and what is godly, but we wimp out because we don't want to look different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to make waves. And look, increasingly in our culture, especially uh, as confused as this culture is about gender and sexuality, we are going to be faced in future years, if we haven't been already, 
with some situations where we're going to have to decide, am I going to be willing to, to be different or am I going to go along like everybody else and celebrate what God says is wrong? I think about back during uh, June, during Gay Pride Month, when several players on the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team, when their ownership kind of mandated and said, okay, everybody is going to wear this uniform uh, with sort of a, a, a gay pride, uh, you know, uh, uh, Part of the uniform was kind of celebrating that. And these Christian guys on the team just said, look, we love everybody, but we can't, we can't wear this because if we wear it, we're celebrating something that God's word says is wrong. And they took that stand and they were vilified, vilified, in the press for doing that. Would you be willing to stand? I, I saw footage of a, of a meeting that happened the other day, and, and this was actually the, the vice president, and she had the, this, these people sitting around this table at this meeting, and she asked everybody to go around the table and introduce themselves. Well, that wasn't strange, but this was really strange. She asked each person to identify their pronouns and I thought, okay, what would, what would you do in that situation? I would encourage you not to play along. Do not play along with this culture's absurdities and lies about gender. You, because when you play along with it, you're, you're really conceding that you're, you're conceding to the absurdity, you're conceding to the lie. And I realize to not play along makes you stand out, but part of being a follower of Christ is that we stand out. Part of being holy is being different. And we can't really make a difference if we're not different. And sometimes that's going to mean standing up in a situation where you get called out. And somebody might say, well, you know, Pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. Let me tell you something. We are called to love every single person. I don't care how confused they are. I don't care what lifestyle they're involved in or whatever. Every person is created in the image of God. And, and we are called to love them. But that does not mean celebrating their confusion. It does not mean saying that what is wrong is right or celebrating what God's word says is sin. If you do that, you are not loving people. Now, how, how is Joseph here loving God and loving Pharaoh? He's showing love for God because he's willing to speak up for, for God and, and, and the one true God. So obviously he's showing love for God, but listen, he is also loving Pharaoh here. Pagan Pharaoh, unbelieving Pharaoh, spiritually confused Pharaoh, who is under the illusion that he himself is a god. <laughs> Joseph is loving Pharaoh by pointing him to the one true God. And he does it over and over and over, doesn't he? Look at verse 25. 
Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, Joseph is saying to the king of all of Egypt, look, you are not in charge of this. You are not in control. God is in control. And God's going to make it happen. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. It's bold. It's loving. Verse 28. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. At every point... Joseph is giving glory to God. He is standing boldly before this king, this Pharaoh, who doesn't know the one true God, who worships false gods, who thinks he himself is a God. And Joseph saying, no, there's one. There's God alone. And he alone has determined what he will do. You're along for the ride. Probably the most important theologian of the 20th century is the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. And uh, Barth, from the time uh, he was a young man in 1921 until his death in 1968, wherever he would move, he would keep a certain painting uh, above his desk, and it was this one. He would keep it directly above where he worked, where he wrote theology. And it's uh, Matthias Grunwald's painting, The Crucifixion. And if you notice on the left side, this is John the Baptist. And what's he doing? He's pointing to Christ. And Bart kept that painting above the desk where he worked as a constant reminder. Always point to Jesus. It's hard to tell in the, in the painting, but <clears throat> right, above the wor- right above John the Baptist's finger are the, the words faintly written, and it's the words from John 3 and verse 30, which says that he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. May that be said of all of us, right? As we seek to glorify God and not ourselves and constantly point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible principles that we, that we see in this chapter. Father, help us to remember that you always remember, that you never forget your children. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who's going through a hard time, or maybe someone who's listening to this or watching this today or any point in the future that's going through a hard time and maybe feels forgotten. Lord, may they be reminded that you never forget your children. And that you, in fact, are causing all things to work together for the good 
of those who love you. And listen, right, right now as we pray, we mentioned earlier that promise is a promise for believers, those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? You can know him. Turn to him right now. Trust him. Turn from trying to do life your own way and turn to Christ. Place all your faith in him. His death for your sins on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Receive him, welcome him into your life as your Savior and Lord. And that promise will be for you. Lord, we thank you for the reminder to be passionate for your glory and not ours. Lord, sometimes um, in our sin nature, we, we want to seek glory for ourselves. We want to look good in the eyes of the world. Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, just, uh, ch- just uh, 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 turn our eyes toward Jesus and that we would always be people who were pointing to him uh, through our lives and through our lips. Lord, help us to point to Christ. Help us to be people who give you glory. It's in your son's name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 